All right, welcome to Bible study, everybody. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. Take a few moments and pray and get things rolling. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, your love for us. Thank you, God, for your kindness, for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Thank you that you are patient in all your ways and long-suffering. And so, God, we call on you tonight for your help. We want to hear from you. We want to be challenged, changed. We pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our midst and in our individual lives, that he would really bring some truth to life in us and that we would respond. I pray a soft heart, an open spirit, a mind that is ready to receive, pliable, pliable. So God, we ask that you'd have your way. Teach us Holy Spirit. Give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to Exodus chapter 24. If you need a Bible, you can find them on the tables. Spread about the room. If you're one of our podcast listeners and you'd like to participate in Bible study, we invite you to do so through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all in word. There's a button on that page that you can toggle, and you can leave us a message. That message is like a voicemail that you can edit if you'd like to before you send it, but it arrives, and then we'll endeavor to play it. It could be a question, a comment could be something good that God is doing in your life that you'd like to share with us. It could be just a hello, a hi, maybe letting us know where you're from and uh, where you listen to the podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please avail yourself of that, and we'll do our best to play that at a meeting. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24 And I need a volunteer to read verse 10. And saw the God of Israel under feet something like David made of lashes and ivory rods. Or as bright blue as the sky. All right. Were you speaking in tongues just then? (laughs) What was that? All right. So what's being described here, just to give it a little bit of context, is a ceremony, and you can look at the context if you'd like, it's Exodus 24, and start up in verse 3, maybe go through verse 11, we'll give you some of the context, they're in the midst of a ceremony, uh, or ceremony-like gathering, it had been opened by Moses when he had recited God's word. And so he had taken some time, and he had read or recited God's word to open the time. And after he got through saying things, now this was common in the history of Israel, that the word of God would be read and the people would respond to it. Do you know what the prescribed response was to the word of God being read? Does anybody remember? Hmm? Okay, what else? How do they answer physically? Do you remember? No? Right. That's what, that's what the prescribed response was. If they heard God's word, 
then they would answer by saying, we will do it. I'm just paraphrasing, but to understand it, that they were uh, just making a statement saying, okay, well, we heard what you said, we got it, now we'll do it. And that was the response. So that's what was going on. Uh, Jehovah, God, was entering into a union with his people, was what was happening here. And they were having a feast to celebrate it. Now, I want to point out something with the feast, uh, because we eat a lot together, and we spend time together, in that this for the nation of Israel, this for God's people, this was an act of worship. That they were taking their time, they were taking their resources, and they were investing it into time together, to spend together. And they were eating. And so there were other things that were going on. I mean, there was a portion of a ceremony going on. Moses was reading the law. They were responding. God was entering into union with his people. But those type things, whether formal or informal, revolved around a feast. And if you look at the calendar, the religious calendar, for the people of Israel, the religious calendar for the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, you see a lot of what they did revolved around feasting. It revolved around time together. It revolved around people coming from other places and giving of their time and, and, and their resources to get together in order to spend that time together and to enjoy eating together. It was an act of worship. Uh, the, I don't think there's any mistake in the New Testament that the symbol of the covenant, or one of the symbols of the covenant that we have with Jesus is what? Breaking bread, the Lord's Supper. Supper, yeah. So it's even in the Word. Now I know some, most of you don't use the word supper anymore. Uh, I grew up using the word supper. That was the third meal of the day was supper. And so it was a reminder to me, and anytime I read the Bible, that it, that was a meal. They were celebrating a meal together. And they were consecrating their relationship and their agreement and it was during that time that all these things took place. It was during the meal time that decisions were made. It was during the meal time that alliances were formed or dissolved. It was during the meal time that affection was shown. I mean, the disciple whom Jesus loved laid his head on Jesus, showing affection to him. I mean, these were all things that happened. You, you look and you see when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, that was in the context of that. There were a lot of major events, a lot of major things that happened while people were in, taking time to eat together and be together. And so those were important times, and they've always been important times with God's people. And so a couple things I'll mention about that. One, uh, I understand that if you believe getting together to eat all the time is a pain in your bottom. Well, that's what it is. I understand that. That's why it requires a sacrifice of time and a sacrifice of resources to do it. It's an investment. It's a worship time. In other words, some people don't like to gather to sing. It's a pain in their butt to do that, and yet that's a worship time. Some people don't like to give money to the work of the church, but again, that is, and it costs them something to do that, and they see that, well, that's a pain in the butt to do that. All right, well, that is a form of worship. There's all these forms of worship 
that God has laid out, that God has uh, modeled for us. That he's shown us, he said over and over again, this is what we're doing, this is how we're doing it. And so for us to look at that and scoff at it, look at that, oh, I got a better idea, look at that, I'm not going to do that, look at that, well, I got better things to do, look at that, well, I don't have time for that, well, okay, 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 that's your choice, my choice, but I believe God calls us into that investment, I do. I believe God calls us to give. I believe God calls us to, to worship together. I believe God calls us to pray together. I even believe God calls us to eat together. I do. There's too much revolving around it throughout the scriptures to ignore it. And so what we have here is an example of that, Exodus 24, that they're eating together, they're feasting together, they're worshiping together. And it was in the midst of this, and notice, it's in the midst of this, it's in the midst of the meal, it's in the midst of the feast that they see God. All right, it wasn't wasn't in the midst of like whatever you want to put in there, of whatever you consider to be a hyper-spiritual moment, necessarily. And whatever we consider that, I don't know what you consider that, but it wasn't in the midst of that. It was in the midst of this that they they saw God. And he was likely, maybe, could be in human form. Why do I say that? Why do I say he took human form? What do you read in that verse? It would tell you he might have maybe, kind of, sort of, may have been in human form. What was in the verse that would tell you that? He's got feet, right? (laughs) He's got feet. You know, because I'm reading in, in, in some of the things that I read in order to prepare for this, or I, and I'm comparing verses, or I'm comparing different parts of the scripture, and I was reading in that, and they're trying somehow to explain a way that he didn't have a form. Well, then how did he have feet? Well, you know, because in some places describe, oh, well, he was like a blob of light. Blobs of light don't have feet. He was, uh, you know, and some other ones they were trying to say, well, he was so bright and shiny they couldn't tell what he was. Well, then how'd they know he had feet? Do you understand what I'm asking here? Okay, so, so this isn't, like, I'm not arguing and saying he definitely appeared this way. What I'm trying to say is, is that we do have a clue because he had feet. So we got a clue that perhaps he took some form. And, and maybe they couldn't necessarily make an image or a picture of him, but it didn't mean he didn't have some kind of a form as of a human. Now, why would I say that? Well, let's look at, where do you see this uh, in, somewhere else in the Old Testament? There's a bunch of places, but where would you see this somewhere else in the Old Testament? Where God took a human form. What? Where? Okay, give me something where you know where it is. You're likely right, but I don't know where to turn there. So, okay, where was that? Judges, what? Okay, you can look that up while you're looking that up. 
There are other places in the Old Testament where uh, beings that are described as angels but having characteristics beyond that of angels appear. Right? And it is considered by most scholars that that would be appearances in physical form of the Word of God in the Old Testament. Okay, that's, a good, uh, that's another good example where that person that Jacob wrestled and that is knocked his hip out, that it says he wrestled God, but in other places it says he wrestled an angel. Now, what's an angel anyway? Yeah, a messenger, okay, or a, a sent one, okay? So it's not really a proper name. In other words, you're not saying, oh, it's definitely this kind of a being, all right? So we don't know. But what about, you know, think about in uh, the story of uh, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and Daniel. And then it said that they were in the midst of the fiery furnace, but they said there appeared one as of a son of man that was in there. Okay, remember that? Okay, so you're going down a list. Am I jogging some thought here? All right, now think about Isaiah. Oh, did you find that, Lori? What is it? Okay, and there's a number of the, those kind of appearances. They call those theophanies when that happens. That's, a, that's kind of the official word for that. But you, you go to Isaiah, right? if you think of Isaiah chapter 6. And so somebody turn there, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. Let's look at this one. Because here's one we can, we can move somewhere into the New Testament with. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Alright, now, listening to that descriptor, the descriptors there in, that, in those verses, what is the form that God has taken there? Right. Do you see that? He's seated on a throne. He has a long train. In other words, he's wearing clothing. <coughs> And it filled the temple. And so we, we have characteristics there that as, as Isaiah saw this, he had a human form. So, so God took a human form there in, in Isaiah 6. Now go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 41. The day I really read this verse, I just sat there and was so excited I couldn't even tell you. I'd read it before, but, I mean, I really read it one day, 
And I was like, wow. I told everybody I knew. John 12, 41. They didn't care, but I told them. Who? Jesus. So who was there in Isaiah? Jesus. Right. And, and so that's kind of exciting because you have, the, you have a New Testament verse placing the Word of God into the Old Testament narrative. You have a New Testament verse saying, this is Jesus. This is the Word of God in bodily form, who we would know later as Jesus. This is the Word of God who is in bodily form, and Isaiah saw it. He saw his glory, and he spoke of it. And so I get excited about that because that begins to tie things in in my world. And I like things tied in in my world because they make more sense to me when they're tied in and they, they begin to join together a little bit. And so as Moses and the people are worshiping through their meal, they're worshiping by their feasting, they're responding to the recitation of the word of God. They're responding to God wanting a union with them, desiring a union with them. And they had enough sense to want to be a, a part of him too. They had enough sense to want that. And so because they had enough sense to want that, God was offering it. There they were, and God appeared. God appeared. And if you notice there, all that was described really was his feet and what was belong. That's all that gets described here. And I, and I think that's kind of interesting because his glory is what Isaiah saw. His glory is what these people are seeing. Now, whether, whether he took human form or not, I don't know. But he had feet. And, and his glory was there. And the people saw that, and they saw him. The elders did. But if you really think about what they would understand about him, it was probably feet down anyhow. Um, and, and I don't know how much we really understand either. Because if, if the apostle John, who the disciple whom Jesus loved, who laid his head on Jesus at dinner, at the Last Supper, when he saw him glorified, where did he fall? Where does the Bible say John fell? At his feet. Yeah. That's all he was going to get hold of. Okay? Now, I know that sounds silly, but I, I want you to see a little parallel here. I want you to see a little parallel between these people and all that could be described about this appearance of, of Jesus or this appearance of the Word of God in the Old Testament, this appearance of God in human form. The only thing that could be described about it was his feet and what was belong. And I want you to think about the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. He fell at his feet as a dead man when he saw him. And he was as close to Jesus as anybody. Just ask him. He was. And so if he was that close to Jesus, and that was his response, 
What's our response? I don't know. I don't know. People talk about running up to him and giving him a big hug. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. Now, I, I can't say for sure, right? I mean, maybe he'll tone it down a little bit. And, and when you get to heaven, you'll see him as like, you know, a, a teddy bear Jesus or something. And you're going to want to go hug him. I don't know. But I do know that the example we have in the New Testament, like what's actually written and not made up by somebody, is a glorified Jesus that the person closest to him, the human being closest to him, fell at his feet as a dead man when he saw him. That's the actual thing we have. So I'm going to go with that. And if I'm wrong, cool. You know, I mean... Maybe we'll, we'll meet the casual Jesus. I have no idea. If we do, we do. But I don't know that. And, and I, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe it's going to be an overwhelming moment. And I'm okay with that. I don't mind if my God overwhelms me. I kind of like it. He's big. And he's good. And he's powerful. And he does what he wants. I like that. Because that's what God's supposed to do. And the fact he loves me, that's awesome. The fact he cares for me, that's awesome. The fact he, he knows details about my life, that's great. This doesn't change the fact he's big and he's powerful. He can do anything. Yeah. Well, if you look at that, if you look at that verse, you see his response to John when he fell at his feet as a dead man. You see Jesus' response to him. You, you see the the issue becomes, and and this is where people stumble. If you deem yourself unworthy of someone else's care, you just cut yourself off. Like, in other words, if you're unworthy of Jesus' love in your mind, then you just cut yourself off. You don't need to figure out why Jesus loves you. He just does. You don't need to figure out why he's patient with you. He just is. You don't need to, to justify his feelings toward you or your life. They just are what they are. They're his, not yours. And so we come into a place where learning to just accept what he says as truth, learning to just accept what the word is as truth, and applying it to our lives and living in it, yeah, that's powerful. It's freeing. It's steady. It's constant. You can count on it. It's not fickle like we are. It just is. A couple more verses. Galatians 3.24. 
two verses. Galatians 3.24 and Acts 7.38. Galatians 3.24 and Acts 7.38. Does anyone have Galatians 3.24? Acts 7.38. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. All right, now, what did I say about sometimes these forms are described as what? Messengers. Messengers, right. But then there's that New Testament tie-in. That was Stephen speaking before he got stoned to death. And he was describing this situation in Acts 7. He was describing this situation as an important moment in the history of Israel, as an important moment among God's people. You see, what was being given was what would lead to Jesus. Galatians 3.24 all of this would tie in. All of this would be a part of a continued and a deeper revelation of God into people's lives. Because you go back there and they see the glory of Jesus, but all they can describe are his feet and what's underneath them. That's all right. Because then in the New Testament, you see the same thing. And you see you have an understanding of why that needed to happen. You have an understanding of of why that took place. You have an understanding of the continued revelation that was represented through that situation because it was all there. And so his glory, his glory is revealed. Now, it says that under his feet, what would we generally describe something as being under somebody's feet? What do you say usually? Do you, do you say that uh, the floor is under your feet, or what do you say? Yeah? yeah? But what are you doing? I'm describing you. Hmm? You stand on it, right? In other words, you're on the ground. You're on the floor, right? So Jesus is standing on this, what they would describe as a street. And it was made of... The, the word, the, the unpronounceable word that uh, Kim used was, uh, some of your Bibles would say sapphire. Yeah, sapphire. So it was a, a form of sapphire that they were seeing, but it was clear. And so this was the most, one of the most valuable and lustrous of stones that were available in their day. And it was clear so they could see his feet, <laughs> all right? Because where do you think uh, he was? Above or below them? Above, all right. So they could see up through, right? And they could see his feet. 
And they could see his glory. And they could see his form probably of whatever he was. But they couldn't necessarily draw it or make a picture of it. But there he was. But I thought it was kind of interesting that they were looking up through something that was clear. That was made of a precious or what appeared to be a precious stone, this sapphire. Now, if you consider that to be sapphire, and this was one of the, the richest stones available, most valuable stones available at their time... What does that say? Where is the most valuable stone? Where are the riches compared to Jesus? Beneath them. Right. And so as an example of that and as an understanding of that, it, 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 as we move into a better revelation of Jesus and Jesus becomes one of us and Jesus is our brother and Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, and Jesus is the one who is our example, and Jesus is the one who walked before us, and Jesus is the one that we're following in life and in death and in resurrection. We're literally following him. If that's the case, what does that say about riches to us? Where do they need to be? Beneath our feet. Right. Not in our heart. Not in our heart. And I also want to say this tonight, because I believe it needs to be said every now and then, is that riches, the love of riches, the love of riches is the root of all kinds of evil. And so if riches find their way into our heart, money finds its way into our heart, it produces and is a root form and springs forth other forms of evil in our life. You know, in other words, what does that mean? That means that when this root takes hold of us in our heart and whatever springs forth, springs forth, whatever springs forth doesn't have dollar signs on it. All right? It may have jealousy on it or it may have envy on it. Or it may have deception on it. Or, or it may have some form of bitterness on it. Or it may have unforgiveness on it. Or it may have covetousness on it. Or it may have uh, whatever. I'm just speaking words. But it's the root of all kinds of evil. So think of any evil. Well, one of the roots of that, possible roots of that in our life, is the love of Riches. And so if that love of riches gets up too high up here, you don't know what's going to pop out after that. And you think, you think, oh, well, it's, it's this or that. Well, maybe it is, but maybe it's just a root of the love of money. Because it's so pervasive, it's so common in our society. Everything tells us, everybody tells us about it. You know, money does this and money does that. Money, money, money. Yeah, well. Unless you're Jeffrey Epstein. Then you get suicided in federal prison. That guy's pretty rich, right? I don't think that was the answer. And how many other rich people are unhappy? How many other rich people are depressed how many other rich people are aimless how many other rich people are angry how many other rich people are bitter how many other rich people 
uh, are, are completely out of touch with reality. Now you think about people that even, you know, people that kill themselves, famous people. I mean, you don't hear about people who kill themselves that aren't famous unless you know them. But you think of people that you've heard about killing themselves? I mean, really? Oh, man. You show the outside of a mansion, and that's where so-and-so killed themselves? I never, I, I never missed that in my head. That's a freaking mansion they got on the news. They got a, a helicopter shot of the person's mansion, and they killed themselves. Guess it wasn't the money. So the money here is under their feet. I don't want to spend too long on money. But the money is under their feet, under his feet, which means it should be under our feet. And that's it. That's it. And, and so that, that's a priority that, that we need to straighten out if, we, if they're not straightened out. Those are the, the priority type things that need to, to get fixed if they're not fixed in our life. Because it's one of those things that, that if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and you've got a misplaced sense of money in your life, it is self-correcting over time. It just is. And somehow, some way, it will correct itself. Does that sound pleasant? No. Because it's not. But you know what? God's more interested in your soul than he is in your comfort. And he'll take care of it. And so this sapphire, this what color is sapphire? Generally? And blue. Natural sapphire is generally blue. And so this is a clear blue. And and so here he is in an elevated position. Clear blue under his feet, glory of God shining through, and it's like looking at what? Like where is he standing if you're looking up at him? Around the sky, right? I mean, we're not sophisticated yet. I mean, what BC is this? Right? We're not all sophisticated and understanding, you know, science and earth science and stuff. So we're just sitting there looking up. We got him standing on the blue, and there he is. It's like he's, uh, he's standing around the sky, like heaven itself. And that blue in, in the sky symbolizes blessing and favor. And when you can see him, and you see through, and there he is, I mean, you're going to pray, and, and you get the blessing and the favor. See, in their minds, that's what it was. And, and then when it was cloudy and you couldn't see the sky and it was really heavy cloud cover, that was not blessing and favor. Now, we don't believe that here in Syracuse because we'd be very depressed most of the wintertime because we don't get to see a lot of blue sky. We see some, but we don't get to see a lot. So we don't necessarily believe that, but... I mean, I want you to, to think about it in terms of what this would symbolize though, to the people that were looking at it and the people that were partaking in it. That this would be something of blessing and this would be something of favor. All right. So what, why do people have trouble with them seeing God? The elders of Israel and Moses. Because 
Why do they have trouble with this? Anybody? Because they, because people have trouble with this. Like, like commentators and and theologians have trouble with this verse because they don't want to think of it this way. Why is that? Right, right. And so, so they will do gymnastics in order to try and remove God out of this equation. Right. See, the issue here is that they can't reconcile a couple verses. They can't reconcile what happened on Mount Sinai with Moses and he saw the hinder parts of God only. And so that, that, was, that was the experience on, on Mount Sinai. And then, but you get to this portion in Exodus 24, and there he is in front of all the elders and Moses, showing himself in his glory. And they're looking at it. They're seeing it. They're recognizing him for who he is. He's meeting with them. They've gathered to recognize that, that he has made a decision to enter into a union with them. They're gathering to recognize that he has, has declared to them that he wants to be with them. And so he came. I mean, shouldn't he show up, I guess? Right? Right. Well, this is what I'm going to try to get to here. I think God's all about showing up. I think he likes to show up. Yeah. And again, this wasn't some, I don't believe that this was a hyper-spiritual gathering. He just showed up. And, and he, he will show up as his people gather. He will show up as his people worship. He will show up as his people pray. He will show up as the word of God is read. He will show up as God's people make a declaration toward him. He will. He'll show up. And there's his glory. And there's his feet. Would it be good enough to see his feet? I'd be happy with his feet. You know, any of the, the experiences that I've had like that, where, um, where God showed up in a room where I was, that's been my experience. Either I see nothing except for a completely blinding light, or I, see, I look up and I can see like something moving past me. That's it. That's all I got. That's all I got in those type situations. Now, I've had other situations where I've had what I believe to be angels show up, and I can talk to them like I talk to the, the person next to me. Or they show up in my car or something or some weird place, and, and I'm able to talk and all of that. But there's been those moments in prayer, those moments where I, I've been worshiping, or those moments where... I'm the only person sitting in here, or whatever it is, where I, I just, I'm completely overwhelmed. Even with my eyes closed by how bright things are. Why? You know, and, and I'm not going to even answer that, but why? Well, the question isn't really, that's not even a good question. My question is more? More. That's my question. I don't want to see that more. I want to experience that more. I want to be a part of that more. And so I want to encourage you toward that in your life. 
I want to encourage you toward more with Jesus. More of his presence. More of an expectation that he likes to show up. He likes to show up when we gather. He likes to show up when we worship. He likes to show up when we eat together. He likes to show up when we're praying. He likes to show up when we're singing. He likes to show up when the word of God is being read. And we're responding to it. He likes to show up. And so I just want to encourage you to allow God to begin to build an expectation in you for that more. More. I want more. And as I stand up sometimes in the front and and we're just taking some time to respond at the end, it's like we're on such a verge of something, some revelation. We're on such a verge of something breaking loose. We're on such a verge of God doing something else. I want it. I don't even care what it is. And and in the past, we've seen the something else as lots of things. People yelling, people laughing, people crying, people falling down, whatever. I don't care. Barnyard sounds, I don't care. I just want what God has for us. I do. And I'm open to whatever it is. Whatever expression of us letting go, whatever expression of us having our eyes open, whatever expression of us having our ears open, whatever expression of us just relaxing into the moment with Jesus. That's what I want. And so I want to encourage you toward that. I do. I want to encourage you toward more of that. I want to encourage you toward more of what I believe God wants to do in our midst and in us and through us. Does anybody have any questions or anything? You want to spend a little time in prayer here at the end? But I just want to open it up real quick. Alrighty. Let's pray. I just want to encourage you to respond uh, whatever God's speaking to you. Whatever He's saying. Whatever He's revealing. There's been a few different things we touched on tonight that He may have highlighted for you. And so I want you to respond to that. You respond to that. For you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, God. As you're responding, I'm just going to pray some stuff. But, God, I I just thank you that uh, we have opportunity to gather. I thank you that is part of our vision to eat together and to spend time together. It's part of our vision to worship together. It's part of our vision to hear your word together. It's part of our vision to pray together. It's part of our vision to sing together. It's part of our vision to hear your word and to respond to it. And so, God, I thank you for opportunities to see you.
I pray we see you more. I pray for more of your glory. I pray, God, for uh, to see more of your glory in our midst, whatever that's going to manifest as, however that's going to look, whatever that's going to sound like. God, I pray more. And I want to believe you for that. I ask that we would have an expectation, some of us just to, to let go for more, some of us to give up the reins for more, some of us, God, to not be so concerned about appearance for more, because we want more, God. And so I pray you would help us, help us, help us. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray your, your deliverance over some of us today uh, from a love of money. Uh, and I know this doesn't seem like it goes with the rest, but I know it does. And I, and I pray that uh, you would set us free, whatever that is. And however that root manifests in our life, God, I just I speak down to the root. God, not just, I'm not speaking to the stuff that it came up as. I'm not speaking to the stuff that everybody sees. I'm not speaking to the stuff that everybody knows about. I want to speak to the root today. And, and God, we just uh, speak a curse over that root of love of money in hearts and lives tonight, that it would die where it is. It would just die. It would die right there. Right there. Wither up and die in the name of Jesus. Even as the fig tree withered up by its roots, we speak a withering to this root in the name of Jesus in men and women's lives. Yeah, God. Freedom. I pray a liberty. God, I pray a, a, just a, a trust and a real um, faith would kick in for us. And I pray, God, as we're being set free, that you would displace that fear and you would displace that lie with the truth of your love for us and your provision for our lives. God, thanks. Thanks, we, we can't make it happen. We've never been able to make it happen. Ever. Never. Never. Uh, thanks, Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. Yeah. God, let's pray uh, your blessings and, and your, your richest blessings and favor onto our lives, God. That's why I say thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here, God. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
nice though. Thanks, Lord. God, we just pray for more individually, corporately, more of you, more of your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming.